We are in uh, week one of the new year. I'm sure some of you have made resolutions, right? You've uh, resolved to change your behavior or your vocabulary or your waistline, your credit line, your team you're going to root for in football. <laughs> Michigan State. I'm looking back at Phil. Michigan. Ohio State, no, some things just aren't going to happen. But how are you doing on those resolutions? You know, if you're like most people, you've already failed on some of them. That's what social scientists tell us happens. Mark Twain, he enjoyed making fun of people's New Year's resolutions. If, if maybe that was his New Year's resolution to make fun of people's New Year's resolutions because he did it year after year after year. One year he wrote, now's the accepted time to make your regular annual good resolutions. Next week, you can begin paving hell with them as usual. <laughs> I don't make New Year's resolutions. Never have. It just feels too artificial to me to choose an arbitrary date on which to launch into a new behavior. If it needs to be done, then why wait until January 1st? Just do it, right? But I suppose the psychology of it is that the New Year affords us the opportunity of thinking about what we want to accomplish in our lives, and that's a good thing. So let me just ask, what do you want to accomplish in your life in 2017? Probably something to do with waistlines or credit lines, but do your goals for this year have any kind of spiritual dimension to them? Are you wanting to change anything about your relationship with God? or your relationship to his church. Today I'm gonna to be sharing some things we can do to move closer to Christ. Next week we'll be thinking about how to move closer, and I'm not sure exactly how to put this, but to ourselves, to our true and eternal selves by taking steps to become the person God designed us to be. And then we're gonna be considering how to move closer to each other in the church. And finally, we're going to get intentional about moving closer to our friends and family and neighbors who are outside the church, who are away from God. And, and each week on Wednesday evenings, we'll go deeper into these issues over at Big B Coffee at 645 if you'd like to join us. We have a good time there. We'll be thinking through how this works in our lives. 2017 is the year to move closer. How you move closer to Christ will depend on where you are in relationship to him right now. If you and he have never met, if you've not yet recognized or admitted his authority over you, getting closer will be different for you than it will be for me. It'll be different for you than for somebody who's been following Christ already. But there are some principles that are broadly applicable to everyone who wants to move closer to Christ. So if you want to move closer to Christ in 2017, then let's look at those principles. We're going to find them in our biblical text today, Mark 1, 14 through 20. So let me read that for us, Mark 1, 14 through 20. After John, and this is John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. 
As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Okay, first thing to notice in this text is the word after. After John was arrested. It reminds us that our lives have a context. They are one link in a long chain of events. The play didn't start when we stepped on the stage. There were actors before us, and there will be actors after us. Maybe we feel we've made our entrance at the worst possible moment. Why was the stage littered with the wreckage of a dysfunctional family or a failing economy or anger and hostility when I stepped onto it? But the truth is we don't get to choose what happened before we made our appearance. And the director, you can be sure, will use what happened before we came on the stage to his advantage and to our good. He can use the dysfunctional family and the poor economy and the anger and the hostility to build a set from which his wisdom, his goodness, his love shine through us. Jesus came on the public scene in the wake of a disaster, the arrest of John the Baptist. Elsewhere, Jesus said that among those born of women, there has not been anyone greater than John the Baptist. John was a mighty prophet and an extraordinary man whom God used powerfully for good. But he was unlawfully arrested and detained, and during that time, his influence, the movement, subsided. It was onto that stage that Jesus stepped. Now look at verse 14. Jesus went into Galilee. That's the region west of the Sea of Galilee, north of Judea and Jerusalem, and began proclaiming the good news of, that is the good news either from or about, God. Think about that. God is good news. Did you know that? I think most people's default position is that God is bad news because they don't know him. Jesus did know him, and what he had to say about God was great news. But sometimes people think of God as bad news, not because of what God is, but because of what they are. If you're being mugged, a policeman is good news and a great relief. But if you're a mugger, a policeman is bad news and a serious threat. So if you're trying to live your life as if you were God, then the real God is going to be bad news for you. He'll show you up as a fraud and ruin your act. But if you want to live your life as a true man or woman, trying to be honest and good, the God of Jesus is the best possible news. Why is God good news? Because he cares about you. Because he wants us on his side. Because he's made a way for us to be right with him, to join him. Because he wants to forgive our sins and be our God and our Father. The mean and stingy God who could care less about you, which is the one many people have in mind, who doesn't care about you and your pitiful efforts, that's not the God of Jesus. 
The God who looks for reasons to blame and punish you isn't the true God. The true God is exceedingly good news. Look at Jesus' message as it's summarized in verse 15. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And by the way, in Greek, this is absolutely poetic. The time, the kairos, has come. What time? The promised time. The time of God's coming. The time for which Jewish people had been waiting for centuries. The time the prophets had predicted. God was on the move. He was acting to fulfill his promises. That's what people heard Jesus saying. The time has come and the kingdom has drawn near. The kingdom has drawn near. Now, if you want to understand this the way that Jesus' first hearers did, you have to think like a person who lives in an occupied territory. And by the way, last week's sermon, if you weren't here on New Year's Day, you should pick that up because it has important things to say about that and about how that relates to the, the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion. You have to think like a person who's living in an occupied country, the, the place that he loves, the country that his fathers died for, has been taken over by a foreign power. The true king, though, has promised to return and free his people. And now you hear the word that that time has come. The king has arrived. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom of God. Do you understand what that is? The kingdom is the sphere where God rules. And the reality is he rules everywhere except for this little tiny spot of dust circling in the world, which he has for a time allowed people to make their own choices about how to live and how to rule. The kingdom of God, the sphere where he rules. When Israel rejected God and discarded their covenant promises, God withdrew. That's Hebrews chapter 8, verse 9. It's referring back to Jeremiah chapter 31. And with God, when God withdrew, all kinds of other powers came in. See, that's the way it works in our lives too. Israel was dominated by foreign powers. But many of her people clung to God's promise that the true king would return and make a new covenant with his people. That's why when people heard Jesus announcing that the kingdom of God was at hand, they got excited. For years, Israel's preachers had been saying, if we only stop doing this thing, or if we only start doing that thing, then God's kingdom will come. But Jesus said, God king, God's kingdom is here. I brought it. And you can be a part of it. In the light of that announcement, Jesus called people to do two things. To repent and to believe the good news. Now the word repent requires some explanation. We think that a person repents when he changes his ways. And while there's truth in that, it misses a very important step. A change of ways is the result, it's the fruit of repentance. Just as apples are the fruit of an apple tree. If when you moved into your house 10 years ago, you were told that that tree in your backyard is an apple tree, but no apples have ever grown on it, you have a right to question whether it really is an apple tree. Same thing is true of repentance. If there's no change of ways, 
Change of ways, that's the fruit of repentance. If there's no change of ways, you might question whether it really is repentance. Nevertheless, the tree is more than its apples, and repentance is more than a change of ways. Repentance is properly a change of mind. That's even what the Greek word meta, metanoeo means. I change my mind. When Jesus called people to repent, he was telling them to rethink their lives in the light of the announcement he just made about the kingdom. Rethink your lives. Jesus wasn't interested in a change of ways without repentance. He wasn't then, he isn't now, because that won't last. Repentance is crucial to lasting peace with God and to effectiveness in his kingdom and to lasting change. Think about what the availability of God's kingdom means for your life, Jesus told people. You can belong, you can serve, but you must decide because you can't serve two masters. Think of what it means, rethink your life. Repent. Let me give you an illustration. You're thinking about buying a new car. Your old car is having problems. You think you want to buy a new car. And you've been looking around, you kind of picked one out. When someone you know, someone who's a reliable guy, someone that you really trust, says to you, hey, you need to rethink this. At the end of this year, there's this German company's coming out with a revolutionary new car that's powered by low-cost, renewable energy source. It's going to change everything. So think about it. Rethink your choice. What that guy is really saying is, repent. To rethink your life in the light of a new reality is repentance. That's what Jesus was calling people to do. If you and I want to move closer to Jesus in 2017, this is one of the things that needs to happen. We need to rethink our life in the light of Jesus and what he's saying. In the light of the kingdom of God, the most important thing happening on earth today. It's open to me. What does that mean for me? After the kingdoms of America and Germany and Russia and China are dust, the kingdom of God will still be thriving. The kingdom of God is the future. How does my life fit that truth? How does it not fit that truth? I need to rethink my life in the light of Jesus. I need to repent. With this message ringing in everyone's ears, Jesus went to the Sea of Galilee and saw Simon and his brother Andrew. Now, here's something important about Jesus. His way is to go where people are. See, that's what happened at Christmas, right? He came to where we are, right into our skin. And he keeps coming to where we are. He comes to us in our sorrow, in our need, in our joys, and in our pleasures. He meets us where we're at. He's like the shepherd who goes looking for his lost sheep. He doesn't wait for the sheep to come looking for him. He's like the father who runs to meet his prodigal son. He doesn't sit smugly in the office while he waits for that good-for-nothing kid of his to come home. He runs to embrace him. Because Simon and Andrew were fishermen, Jesus went to a lake. If you're a teacher, he'll go to a school. A factory worker, he'll meet you in the shop. A farmer, he'll find you in the field. A scientist, he'll meet you in the laboratory. A friend recently told me how Jesus went to look for him in the RLDS church, and he met him. 
Jesus has gone to bars and to Buddhist temples and lots of other places we wouldn't expect because that's where people are. He comes to us. Jesus went to the lake where Simon and Andrew were, and when he called them, they had to rethink their lives. They had to repent. Jesus said to them, come follow me. And by the way, the New Testament writers recorded Jesus saying those words in 27 places in the Gospels. Jesus did not say, come and be religious for me. Come and go to church for me. Come and work for me. He said, come, follow me. The Christian life then and now is a following of Jesus. Now, Peter and Andrew were fishermen. That was not a rich man's trade, but if you were good at it, you could make a decent living. Lots of people in Palestine in the first century did not make anything like a decent living. If you're a good fisherman, you can make a decent living. They did all right for themselves. So when Jesus, as the leader of God's now available kingdom, called them, they had to rethink their situation. To follow him would mean making changes that would affect them and their families. Things they had been doing, they wouldn't be able to do anymore. Things they'd never done, didn't even know how to do, they would be called to do. They had fished for fish. Now they're going to have to fish for men. By the way, we'll look at that in more detail on Wednesday night. Verse 18 says that at once they left their nets and followed him. Now, this was not the first time Peter and Andrew, had, Simon and Andrew, had met Jesus. Okay? In the other Gospels we learned, they've had contact before this. They've had time to think. They have rethought their lives in the light of what's happening. And they followed him. Now, don't miss the fact that to do that, they had to leave something. In this case, their nets, their occupation. We're going to find the same thing is true in our lives. We want to follow Jesus. We'll always be leaving something. Look at verse 19. When he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Zebedee, Zebedee's interesting guy. His name comes up in the New Testament so often that it's surprising. He's mentioned over and over again. It's possible that Zebedee was the, the biggest commercial fisherman on the lake. There's reason to believe that he had contracts with what was uh, with Jerusalem, with the temple especially. He had a business. He had employees working for him. Simon and Andrew probably contracted with him, as well as running their own small business. Zebedee's sons, James and John, were being groomed to take over the business. To follow Jesus, Simon and Andrew had to leave their jobs. James and John would have to leave their business and their father. Jesus didn't try to hide the cost of following him. He warned people that his coming would bring division even between fathers and sons. In the Middle East in the first century, in fact, in the Middle East now, but even more so then, it was a disgrace for a son to go against his father's wishes. We don't know what Zebedee's wishes were, but neighbors, friends, and relatives must have been shocked and appalled by the choice that James and John made. They would have been talking about it for weeks what were those boys thinking? And yet, without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and the hired men and followed him. Simon and Andrew left their nets. James and John left their dad. Following Jesus always involves leaving something or someone, 
and not least the person that other people want or expect you to be. That can be really tough. Getting closer to Jesus, whether you're not yet a Christian or you've been following Christ for many years, will always mean getting further away from something else. You can't follow Jesus without leaving bad things behind. Sins. But sometimes it's a good thing we have to walk away from in order to follow Jesus. Maybe a hobby, a relationship, a possession, a reputation, a routine. Jesus asked the rich young ruler to leave his wealth and come follow him. And that wasn't because wealth was a bad thing, but because it was in that young man's way. He couldn't get around it in order to follow Jesus. A good thing in the wrong place can cause just as much trouble as a bad thing. Warren Wiersbe put it this way, if good things keep you from enjoying the best things, they've become bad things. All right, something else. Do you notice that Jesus called these men in company? And he called them to company. That's been the nature of the Christian life from the very beginning. If you want to get closer to Jesus, it will almost certainly mean getting closer to his people. As John Wesley said a long time ago, the Bible knows no such thing as solitary religion. Now, you might be thinking, pretty sure some of you are, I'm not much of a people person. I'd like to get closer to Jesus, but I want to do it on my own, without anyone else. That's not how it works. Getting closer to Christ is going to require you to get closer to his people. Now that being said, time alone with God is also crucial. Jesus not only spent a great deal of time with people, he frequently practiced the discipline of solitude. He got away from people. If you don't get alone with God, you won't have anything to give when you get together with people. Those two things, solitude and company, they inform each other. They play off each other. They need each other. If your life is either all solitude or all people, you're going to grow in a way that's misshapen. Think of it this way. Just as the binary code that forms the foundation of all computer languages, all computer languages are based on a foundation of a binary code. Ones and zeros, in whatever order, mean something. If a computer program, a programmer, could only use ones or only use zeros but not both, he couldn't accomplish very much. If your relationship with God is made up of either solitude or company, but not both, you're not going to accomplish very much. We need both, and Jesus calls us to both. You want to get closer to him, you're going to have to get closer to his people. Okay, let me put this together for those of us who are choosing to get closer to Christ in 2017. And let me just say this. If you don't choose to get closer, you probably won't. You have to actually make a choice. I am going to get closer to Christ in 2017. At the end of this next year, I'm going to be closer to him than I am right now. If you don't choose, it probably won't happen. I mean, God can make it happen. You might not like the way he does it. Most people who fail in this don't fail because they're too busy or because life is too crazy, because they're too sinful. That's what they tell themselves. Oh, I'm just terrible. I never amount to anything. They, or 
my life is just so crazy, I don't have time for this or that. That's not why people fail. They fail because they never choose to succeed. If you choose to succeed in being closer to Christ, you will be closer to Christ. So the very first thing is choose. Make a conscious choice, and you need to be intentional about this. And the second thing, choose to repent. Now you might be thinking, but I don't know what I need to repent of. I'm not aware of any particular sin. Well, that may just be a lack of self-awareness, but that's not the point. Repentance results in turning from sin, but repentance itself is rethinking your life in the light of who God is and what he's done through Jesus and what that means for us. We need repentance, whether we're aware of specific sins or not. Repentance is a great, beautiful, powerful gift of God. So do this. Look at Christ, the Savior who died on a cross to spare your life and the lives of everyone else. Consider his life, how full and rich it was, so peaceful, so joyful, so present to others and to God. Consider his offer to teach you how to live that kind of life. His promise to share his spirit with you so that you can live that life. Consider the kingdom he invites you to enter and to serve. Consider the fact that the person you will be for eternity depends upon Jesus. In that light, rethink your life. Repent. Bring your life into line with the truth as it is in Jesus. That's repentance. Ask God for the grace to do that. Rethink. Part of that rethinking will include the discovery of something you need to leave behind so that you can get closer to Jesus. And I'm not going to hide that at all. Now that something might be a sin. You certainly are going to have to leave it behind. But it might also be a habit, a routine, a way of thinking, a way of talking. It might be something on which you've set too high a value, a possession, a relationship, your reputation. Moving towards something always entails moving away from something else. What will you be moving away from in order to get closer to Jesus? When you know what that thing is, and repentance will help you know, then make an informed choice to leave it behind. You will come to this if you want to get closer to Jesus. And then one more thing. Consider how to get closer to Jesus in company with others. Joining with the church when it gathers on Sundays is a tried and true way. That's important. But meeting with a smaller group on a regular basis to, to talk about the Bible and think through how it applies to your life, how you can live it, that's helped many people. There are opportunities for that. Are you part of one of them? Getting together weekly with other people to pray, that can be life-changing. Perhaps you get closer to Jesus if you volunteered at church. We have lots of places where we need help. Or in some organization like Forgotten Man Ministries, working with people who are in the jail. Or Beginnings Care for Life. You want to get closer to Jesus? Get closer to his people. I can pretty much guarantee you, if you're not any closer to his people at the end of 2017, you will not be closer to him.
And the opposite is true too. If you are closer to him, you will be closer to his people. Rethink your life and your situation and see how Jesus' people fit into it. And let's make 2017 the year of getting closer to Jesus. All right, let's pray. I'm going to give you just a moment before I pray. If it's your desire, then you need to make it your intention. In other words, you need to choose. Would you? I'll give you a moment, and if it's your choice, say to God, yes, I want to be closer to Jesus, and I will be. I will make the choices necessary to be closer to Jesus. Lord, hear the prayers of your people in Jesus' name.